Well, my name is Mike Doyle, and I pastor a church in New York City called Movement. And I actually moved to New York City as a missionary from San Diego. And when I first moved to New York, I moved to Harlem up. I was, I was like on 125th. And I remember talking to some of the locals there, and they said, where are you from? I said, San Diego. And they're like, why'd you move here? <laughs> I said, well, God called me to, to come here. And I was working for a ministry in San Diego. I became a missionary. I gave away everything that wouldn't fit my Toyota Tacoma. And with about $40,000, I moved to New York City by myself. I knew like two people, and I lived in an apartment in Harlem. And I started a Bible study, and we grew it into a church. And here we are all these years later, and we pulled it off by God's grace. Isn't God amazing? Can we just give God a round of applause? Can we just... And it's, just, it's been a wild experience. And even through COVID, it was, it's been very interesting to kind of ride out the quarantine in New York City. And a lot of people ask, they say, how's it been for your church? And it actually was really good for our church, ironically. We, it really kind of pulled our church together. We didn't see engagement drop. We didn't see giving drop. It was actually an, kind of an odd blessing. It really kind of pulled our church together. We saw some people leave the city, but we saw a lot of people, uh, the people who were part of our church, just really kind of lean in and engage. And... I just encourage you guys to pray for New York City. We, we went through a really, really hard time over the last 10, 11 months. A lot of people left the city, but I'm just believing that, you know, it's like the Chinese symbol for crisis is the same symbol for opportunity. And I think that New York City is at a moment right now where we could really see a revival. We could see the spirit of God move. I think there's tremendous spiritual hunger in the city. And so as you think about New York City, just pray for the spiritual atmosphere of New York City, that God would pour out his Holy Spirit and bring a revival and bring an awakening to New York. And I'm excited, man. I think that as more people get you know, vaccinated, the city begins to reopen, I, I think we're gonna really see the Lord move and work in New York City, so I'm excited about it. But I'm glad to be here tonight in New Jersey. I, I love New Jersey. Uh, first of all, you have excellent Italian food. Can I get an amen? I went to Crispy tonight, Crispy Pizza tonight with Nick Dumphy. By the way, isn't Nick one of the nicest, tallest, handsomest guys? Can we just give Nick a round of applause? I tell people, if you want really good Italian food, you actually have to come down to New Jersey. It's better than the Italian food in New York City. Also, Wawa, because we don't have Wawa in New York City, okay? Can we just give Wawa a round of applause? Can we hear for Wawa? I love Wawa. I know you guys take it for granted, but I like love it. I'll go out of my way to get a Wawa sub. I'm not even hungry. I just go get a sub anyways because it's Wawa. So I love Wawa. Also, um, New Jersey has really good surfing. Uh, I have friends that were pro surfers, and they'll say that New Jersey actually has world-class waves. I don't think people realize it about New Jersey. It breaks so good here. And I like to surf Belmar and Manasquan. And so I love New Jersey. I think it's a great state, and uh, it's always a joy to come down here. Well, the title of this message tonight is Simple Christianity. And I have kind of a shorter message tonight. And actually, what I, what I want to do is at the end of my message, when the worship team comes back up, I want us just to take a few minutes as we close to kind of reflect on the message and kind of recenter our lives back on Jesus. But I have, I have kind of a shorter message tonight. I want to look at one verse. And if you have a Bible, you can open up. It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And it says, and this is his command. It's 1 John 3, 23. It says, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And there's three points that I want to make about this verse tonight. One long point and then two short points. The first point I want to make is that the Christian faith is simple. 
The second point I want to make is that the Christian message is simple. And the third point I want to make is that the Christian mission is simple. So the first point I want to make from this passage tonight is that the Christian faith is simple. You know, it's very easy to complicate things. It's very easy to take something that is simple and elegant and beautiful and make it so complicated and so confusing and so frustrating that you don't want anything to do with it. You know, I love the whole minimalism trend. I love that whole kind of Apple Store, Scandinavian style of design. Uh, in, in Manhattan, we have these blue bottle coffee shops. I don't know if you guys have ever been to one. And a blue bottle coffee shop is kind of modeled after an Apple Store. It's kind of like pine and white walls. And I love that minimalist trend. I like it in coffee shops. Uh, there's a great coffee shop in the, in the East Village. It's called Ninth Street Espresso. And you go in there and all that it says on the menu is coffee, coffee with milk. That's it. They don't have smoothies, they don't have salads, they don't have frappuccinos, it's just coffee or coffee with milk. And I just love that. They do one thing and they just do it really well. It's just, it's very minimal, it's very clean. I like that in websites, I like clean, simple websites, I like clean, simple Instagram feeds. I just think we live in such a complicated world that I just like simplicity, I like clean designs. I like Trader Joe's, amen? And the thing I like about Trader Joe's is if you walk into a Trader Joe's, there's not 10,000 boxes of cereals, okay? And half of them are full of chemicals that'll kill you. It's just like three boxes of cereal. And you know Trader Joe's is eliminated down to the best ones. You trust them and you just pick it and you go, it's always gonna be good from Trader Joe's. But that's a kind of minimalist trend. I like those kind of stores that are, that are curated where they've, they've already thought through everything and you know that everything in that, everything in that store has already been curated and thought through. I like that minimalist trend. But here's the thing is, you know, we can do this with the Christian faith. We can overcomplicate the Christian faith. In fact, the apostle Paul worried about this. He wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, verse three, he says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent is deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be, may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so Paul's fear for the Corinthians was that their minds would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He also says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, he says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so I love what John does in the passage we're gonna look at. What John does is he simplifies the Christian faith. He cuts through all of the noise and he boils it down to just its very simple essence. It's like, it's like an espresso shot of Christianity, Okay. It's like, it's like he, he condensed it to one tweet and he, he, he brings it down to two simple things. And this is what John says the Christian faith is. He says, a Christian faith, it's believing in Jesus and loving people. He says, it's believing in Jesus and it's loving people. And you know, when you hear that, doesn't the simplicity of that just kind of like comfort you? Because when I think about that, I'm gonna talk about it more in a minute, but when I think about that, it's like, I can do that. I can believe in Jesus and I can love people. But if we make the Christian faith too complicated, we get so frustrated by it. You're like, you know what? Like, I just don't want anything to do with any of it. I don't want to deal with the church. I don't want to deal with all the complexities of it. But when you boil it down, you say, you know what? It's believing in Jesus and it's loving people. Then your mind can wrap itself around and you think, you know what? I can do that. And first of all, you think of Jesus. I love Jesus. I loved Jesus when I was a little kid. I loved going to Sunday school and like singing the little songs. And even in my prodigal years, when I wasn't walking with the Lord at all, I still had this place in my heart for Jesus. Jesus is the greatest human being who ever 
lived, hands down. There's no one better than Jesus. Even in our hyper-political climate today, everybody likes Jesus, amen? And everybody thinks that Jesus is on their team, amen? And it would be really interesting to see Jesus show up today and and see what team he actually was on. We might be surprised. And no one has had a greater impact on the history of the world than Jesus Christ. It's unquestionable. He's the single greatest human being that ever lived. There's no one greater, no one more loving, no one more compassionate, no one more welcoming, no one more courageous or strong or great. I mean, every superlative you can use, there's not enough of them to, to describe who Jesus Christ is. You know, it's interesting. Have any of you guys been to Israel? I know you guys go a lot as a church. Um, one of the most striking moments I had when I was in Israel, first of all, being in Israel, I just wanted to like cry the whole time, okay? <laughs> I just like, because it's the land of Jesus. And I just was like, I, I remember I was with a friend of mine, he's like, and he was really moved. And how I got to Israel was, it was a wealthy friend of mine that I'd been discipling. He was a really wealthy magazine owner in, in New York City. And he just texts me one day, he says, hey, Mike, you wanna go to Israel? I said, sure. He's like, yeah, I'll just pay for everything. I'm like, I think I can make that work. <laughs> and he's like, he's, just, he's like, just tell my travel agent what we're gonna do. So I just bought like three tour guides to Israel and I just put together like, I called myself like his concierge pastor. And I just put together this like week long curated trip of Israel. And he's like, yeah, wherever you wanna go. So we stayed in great hotels and ate at the best restaurants. It was, it was the best way to do Israel. So we fly into Tel Aviv, we get a rental car and we just spend all this time in Israel. And I remember him saying like, Mike, I feel like I can't breathe. I said, I feel the same way. I mean, this is the holy land. This is the land that Jesus walked, you know? And I had two really moving moments. One was I went down to the Sea of Galilee one morning and I got up early and I went down and I was just down there praying. And I just like, I wanted to start weeping because that was where Jesus did so much of his ministry. But a really striking moment was I was in Jerusalem and there's a church there. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and it's right near the temple. And supposedly the church of the Holy Sepulchre is both where Jesus died and where he rose from the dead. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, you know, but so I go in and I, this is supposedly where he died. And then I go over to supposedly where he was raised from the dead. And I guess, I don't know, you know, and so I come out of where he was raised from the dead. And what struck me even more was I walked into this other like big room. It was like this big uh, chapel and painted on the ceiling was this gigantic painting of the face of Christ. And it's actually an Eastern Orthodox icon called the Pantocrator, which means the Lord Omnipotent. And I'm looking up at this gigantic face of Jesus and I'm just thinking, who was Jesus Christ? Who was this man who showed up 2000 years ago and changed the entire course of human history? That me as a 21st century person would pay thousands of dollars and fly in a Boeing 747 halfway across the world to go to the place where this man walked. The only way you can explain that was Jesus Christ was in fact God in human flesh, that God became a human being and 2000 years ago, he walked on the earth. All right, so there's, there's nobody better than Jesus. Hands down, he's the greatest human being that ever lived. So we're sitting here tonight and it's, what is the date? January 13th or 14th or something? 2021? <laughs> And well, it's 2021, what? It's 2021 years from the birth of Christ. Our whole calendar is, is split by the birth of Jesus, okay? So Jesus is the greatest person who ever lived. And so the first part of Christianity, it's believing in Jesus, okay? And the second thing of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we love others. Okay. 
You know, here's the thing I want to say, too, is that I got a text from a, a, a guy who attends my church about four or five days ago, and he got really frustrated by some, just some of the things that are happening in our culture. And he said, Mike, he says, you know what? He's like, I think I'm almost done being a Christian. He says, I can't handle the church anymore. And it's a guy I really like a lot. And I spent a lot of time with him. And, and I texted him back and I said, you know what? I said, he's like, Mike, I can't promote the church anymore. He says, I can't handle the church anymore. And I texted him back. I said, you know what? Being a Christian is not about promoting the church. It's about promoting Jesus. Okay? And so as Christians, we're not called to believe in the church. We're called to believe in Jesus. And here's the thing. I want to tell you about churches. Churches will let you down. You know what? Pastors will let you down. I will let you down. I'll just, I'll just tell you that right now. Probably this message is letting you down. <laughs> but I'll let you down. All you got to do is hang out with me for like a week and I'll probably say one thing that'll like offend you or something like that. I probably have already offended you already. I don't even know how I've offended you. You know what I mean? I've probably done something that irked you already. But we're not called to believe in the church. We're called to believe in Jesus. And here's the thing, if you read church history, like I love to read church history, but if you read church history, there were so many awful things that the church did in the name of Jesus, like horrific things and things that Jesus never would have been a part of. And I, as Christians, it's, we don't have to defend that stuff. It's, it's just people did bad things. And in my own experience, in the time that I've been a Christian, I've experienced abuse, I've experienced slander, I've experienced betrayal, one of, the, one of the hardest things I ever did was planting a church in New York City. You know the amount of betrayal that I've experienced? You know the amount of heartache I've gone through planting a church in New York City? And so I've, ex I've ex had bad church experiences, but we're not called to believe in the church. We're called to believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. And the problem with the church is it's the church is made up of just flawed human beings. Now, I served the church. I, I, when I, beca I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. And as soon as I became a Christian, I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor. A year, and a, half, a year and a half after I got saved, I went off to Bible college and I went to another Bible college. Then I became a youth pastor. Then I was an evangelist. And then I've been a pastor for about 12 years. My entire adult professional life has been dedicated to serving the church. I love the church. And when I was a wild kid doing drugs and partying and surfing in high school, if you would have told me one day that my favorite thing would be to like teach the Bible and teach Sunday school, I would have said, you are crazy. <laughs> now, I love the church. And, I, and I, I mean, I believe in the church, but I believe in the church because I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. And out of my love for Jesus, then I serve the church. That's, that's the way you have to look at it. Also, being a Christian... You know, the Christian faith, it's also not about believing in a certain political agenda. Now, I think our faith should influence our politics. I think we should vote our values. I mean, that's one of the great things about living in a democracy. In a democracy, we can vote our values into law. It's amazing. But in a democracy, it's, it's more of an ideological battle. And so we have to kind of, we have to win these ideological battles within our culture. And so as Christians, yeah, we get out there and we vote our values and we elect candidates that we think best represents our values. But believing in Jesus, the Christian faith is not about a political agenda or a political position. It's simply about believing in Jesus. Now, will believing in Jesus shape our politics? Absolutely. Because believing in Jesus should shape every single aspect of our lives. Believing in Jesus shapes how we spend our money. Believing in Jesus shapes how we uh, view our sexuality. Believing in Jesus 
shapes how we conduct ourselves morally and ethically, how we treat other people. When we say that Jesus is Lord, it means that Jesus is Lord over every area of our lives. There's a very famous Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper. And Abraham Kuyper had this great line. He says, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so when you say that Jesus is Lord and you make him the Lord of your life, well, then Jesus becomes the Lord over every single aspect of your life. And believing in Jesus shapes everything about us and has a kind of reverse effect upon our lives. But here's the thing though, is that we don't put anything before Jesus. We don't put anything above Jesus. We make Jesus Christ number one in our lives. We dedicate ourselves to him alone. And then from that relationship to Jesus, everything flows. So do you see how that works? Listen to this. If I lost you, tune in for a moment. This is, this is how it works in the Christian life, okay? Is you put Jesus Christ first. You say, Jesus is Lord. He's number one in my life. And then from that relationship with Jesus, everything else flows. Okay, so I believe in the Bible because Jesus believed in the Bible. I believe in the church because Jesus built the church and he died for the church and he called me to serve the church. Because I believe in Jesus, that that shapes how I spend my money. Because I believe in Jesus, that shapes my politics. Because I believe in Jesus, it shapes my sexuality. Because I believe in Jesus, it shapes how I treat other people. But you put Jesus first, you dedicate yourself to Jesus, and from Jesus, it shapes everything else. It's kind of like a pyramid. Everything flows from him, but Jesus is number one. We put him first, and then he's that thing that unites us all together as Christians. You know, I was talking to Vinny before the service tonight. I pastor a very diverse church in New York City. I have people across the entire political spectrum. I have people from every conceivable racial background, economic background, education background, it's like my church, you know, we talked about in the book of Revelation, the final vision is every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping the Lord. That's what my church looks like. Like every kind of possible background you can imagine. But the one thing that binds us all together is Jesus Christ. He's the one that unites us all together. And my church is so politically diverse. Trust me, there's no way you could have got all the people at my church to do anything together or to hang out at all together. But you know what binds us together? Jesus is what binds us together. He's the thing that we all have in common because we all put him first in our lives. And that's what the Christian faith is. It's believing in Jesus. And then from that belief in Jesus, it flows forth and it shapes everything else in our lives. Sorry, my laptop keeps closing on me here. Um, And we love one another. You know, what is the mark of the Christian? What is that thing that should define a Christian more than anything else? It's love. Jesus said, all men will know you are my disciples by what? By your love for one another. Jesus told us to love our enemies. He told us to pray for them and do good to them. Paul says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says that love is the one Christian virtue that will last forever. Paul says the three greatest Christian virtues are faith, hope, and love. But the one that will last forever is love. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to need faith or hope anymore because Jesus is going to be right there in front of you. You ever ever thought about that? The only time you have to praise in this life, the only time you have to have faith is in this life. Because once once we get to heaven, Jesus is right there standing in front of us. But the one virtue that will go on forever and it will never end is love. Paul says we're to do everything in love. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 13, that without love, we're nothing. The message of love runs through the whole New Testament. The entire superstructure of Christianity is is founded on love and held together 
by love. Because what's the basis of the Christian life? It's love. It's, it's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There was a great little book that came out in the 70s by a guy named Francis Schaeffer, and it's called The Mark of the Christian. And if, if you're a reader, you can pick it up on Amazon. It's a great little book. But he wrote a whole little pamphlet where he makes that point. He says, he says the, the, what should be the distinguishing mark of a Christian is love. Love. All right, the second point is the Christian message is simple. The gospel is simple. And it's so simple that a little child can understand it. There's a guy named Karl Barth, and he was a German Reformed theologian. And Karl Barth's considered probably the greatest theologian of the 20th century. His influence was so massive, he's, almost, he's considered almost significant as one of the church fathers. And he wrote this very famous, his magnum opus was this very famous 12-volume systematic theology called Church Dogmatics, and has over 6 million words in it. If you ever read that, text me. I'll give you a million dollars. <laughs> it's the book that nobody reads, okay? Karl Barth, you know, was this genius. He had this massive mind, this unbelievably influential theologian. He's kind of a controversial guy. But one day, someone asked Mr. Barth, they said, Mr. Barth, what's the most powerful theological truth you ever learned? And he says, he said, it's this. He says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The gospel is simple. It's so simple. It's so simple a little child can understand it and an Ivy League professor can understand it. And I think that God set it up that way on purpose. It's John three sixteen. When I was growing up in the 80s at football games, there always used to be a guy who would be behind the touchdown. He would hold up a sign that said John three sixteen. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. That's the gospel. It's just John 3, 16. It's that simple. And here's, here's the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Okay, there's a God. We sinned against that God. He loved us so much that he didn't abandon us in our sin and in our death. But he came down, he became a human being. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And if you believe in him, you can live forever. That's it. That's the gospel. That's how simple it is. It's so simple. And I believe that God made it that simple on purpose. And that's the core message of the Christian faith. And it's good news. And it's good news for the whole world. There's about six and a half billion people on planet earth and Jesus Christ died for all six and a half billion people. And he wants every single one of them to come to know him. And our calling and our responsibility as Christians, I'm gonna talk about this more, it's my last point. And our responsibility as Christians is to get that very simple gospel message out to all six and a half billion human beings. And you know what's kind of wild about the time that we're living in today is there's a really interesting verse in Matthew 24 where Jesus says, in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all the nations and then the end shall come. And Jesus seems to be implying that once the entire world has heard the gospel message, been given a clear opportunity to receive Christ, then he will return. And you know what's wild is with the technology that we have available to us today, we could be the generation that could see the great commission fulfilled within our lifetime. Isn't that wild? Between the internet and social media and satellites and airplanes, you could go to Newark or JFK Airport and you could literally be anywhere on the face of the earth in about 20 to 24 hours. You know, when you read the New Testament, you hear about Paul, Paul went to Corinth and he went to Macedonia and then he went to Achaia and he went to all these different places. You know how Paul got there? He walked. <laughs> It'd be like 
yeah, I'm gonna go preach the gospel in Philadelphia, but I'm gonna walk to Philadelphia. You know, I think I'm gonna go preach the gospel in Boston and I write, you know, then you walk to Boston. Paul walked everywhere and then every now and then he would sail on a ship and he was, I think he survived like three shipwrecks. And a shipwreck in the first century was surviving a plane crash, okay? And so that, that was Paul's life. I mean, that's, that's how radically different our world is today. There used to be these things called Kinkos. I don't know if you guys remember them now. They're like FedEx offices. I always think, imagine what the Apostle Paul would have done with the FedEx office. <laughs> you know how much damage that guy could have done for the kingdom? You guys could easily be the generation with, with the resources you have available in your hand. You could be the generation that could see the Great Commission fulfilled. We could do it. We could be that generation. And it's so simple to get that message out to everybody. A friend of mine named uh, Doug Gaiman, I serve on the board of this missions agency. And the president of this missions agency that, I, that I'm a part of, this guy, Doug Gaiman, he has his heart for what's called unreached people groups. And unreached people groups are primarily in what's called the 1040 window. You ever, you ever heard of what the 1040 window is? The 1040 window is this period on planet Earth it's this place on planet Earth between the 10th and the 40th latitude. And it's, it goes from about North Africa to Asia. And that little band on planet Earth between the 10th and 40th latitude between North Africa and Asia is the most unreached portion of the entire planet. And it's estimated within that space is 2 billion people who have never even heard the gospel. Can you imagine that? 2 billion people. And so Doug Gaiman, who I, work with, who I work with, he has his heart to reach those unreached people groups. And so now what they've done, now there's missions agencies that are saying, you know what? Learning the language, creating a written language, and then translating the Bible into their language takes too long. So now what they've done is you can, you can learn a language really fast. And they have these companies now that have created these little devices that have a pre-recorded version of the New Testament in that indigenous language. And then it runs off of solar power. So it doesn't even need a power source. And all you have to do is push a button and it reads the New Testament to the people in that indigenous people group. Isn't that amazing? And there's something like, I think there's like 3,000 languages left that haven't been, they don't have the scriptures in their own language. These organizations, their goal is to close that gap in the next 10 years. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, it's so simple. The gospel is so simple. And we need to be getting that simple message out to everybody. Now, all right, the gospel message is simple. There's a lot of implications from the gospel. And that's really what the New Testament is. You know how the New Testament is structured is you have Jesus and the message of Jesus. And then you have the apostles in the epistles fleshing out all the implications of the gospel. And that's why we have systematic theologies and we have creeds and we have confessions and we have you know, libraries full of books. God has blessed the church with these really smart people who have fleshed out all the implications of the gospel, what the gospel means for every sphere of life. But the central core message of Christianity is just Jesus. Christianity is Christ, and it's a very simple message. And my third and final point, and I'm gonna wrap it up with this, is, and the Christian mission is simple. And the Christian mission is to preach the gospel to the whole world and to make disciples of Jesus. You know, I was talking to Vinny about that before church. You know, what is the church's role in society? What is, what is the church supposed to do? Like, like, what's the role that we play? And our responsibility as Christians, our responsibility as a church, is, is Jesus called us to do two very simple things. We're to preach the gospel and to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And I can tell you, you know what? Those two things alone would keep us occupied for the rest of our lives. First of all, we gotta reach the 2 billion people who've never even heard the gospel in the 1040 window. 
And then the other thing that's happening in the United States is you have this emerging post-Christian generation in America. I deal with it all the time in New York City. You, there's probably, I would, there's millions of people right in the United States, right in our own country that have never even heard the gospel. It used to be you had America and then you would leave America and you would go on to the mission field. Well, America has become a mission field now. You know, I live near Long Island City. I live in Queens. Queens is the most diverse urban area on planet Earth. About two miles from my house is Elmhurst, Queens, which is, which is the most diverse zip code on planet Earth. There's like 148 spoken languages in Queens. We don't even need to go on mission trips anymore. You can just come to my neighborhood, amen? <laughs> just, I, we can just walk down Roosevelt Avenue and like there's every single people group represented on that avenue. There's people from Tibet, there's Ecuadorians, there's um, El Salvadorians, there's Cubans, there's everything. There's Thai people. There's like this little Thai section near my house. There's all these Thai grocery stores. And I went in there and I had the ladies teach me how to make uh, uh, like, like, you know, curry and all this stuff. And they, you know, they taught me how to make really good Thai food, praise the Lord, you know? So right here, in, right here in America, all the nations are here in America. And all those people need to hear the gospel. But Jesus, at the end of the gospels, in the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark, Jesus gives us the mission statement for the church, okay? And I'm gonna close at this point. You know, if I was to ask you like, okay, what is, what's the mission of Coca-Cola? It's to give the world Coke. <laughs> if I said, what's the mission of McDonald's? You'd say it's hamburgers. If I said Starbucks, you'd say it's burnt coffee. If I said, if I said uh, Krispy Kreme, you guys ever had a Krispy Kreme before? It's donuts, okay? If I said the NFL, it's football. All right, well, what's the mission of the Christian church? Why do we exist? You know what we exist for? is to preach the gospel and make disciples. That's what we exist for. That's our job. That's our role in society. At the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives us the mission statement. This is his final words to us in the gospel of Matthew. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay? And at the end of the gospel of Mark, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's it. It's preach the gospel and make disciples. That's what the church is called to do. And you know what? Like I said, that's, that's enough to keep us busy for a really, really long time. Now, it doesn't mean as Christians that we ignore the world around us. It doesn't mean that we put our heads in the sand and we ignore what's going on in our society. Listen, you know what? As Christians, we wanna change the world too. We wanna change society but the Christian method for changing society is through preaching the gospel and making disciples. We believe that the best way to change society is by changing people's hearts. You know, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of myself. Like before I became a Christian, like it seems like every Calvary Chapel pastor, I was like, I sold drugs and I partied and I was this really, I was this really bad kid. I was a nihilist. And a nihilist is like you have atheism and then you don't believe in God. Well, a nihilist doesn't believe in anything. I, I didn't believe that God existed. I was a nihilist. I was super anti-Christian. I was a very angry kid. I, I, I had addiction problems. And if I was smarter than a lot of my friends. If they would have tried to argue anything with me, I probably would, they wouldn't have been able to convince me otherwise. But then what ended up happening was my Christian friends invited me to go to a Bible study like this. And one night my youth pastor shared this very simple message about, just like I shared at the beginning of the message, how Jesus was the greatest person who ever lived how he died on the cross for my sins. And then my youth pastor said something I'll never forget. And he says, and Jesus just wants to be your friend. And as I sat there as a little nihilistic 18-year-old kid, I just thought, 
Why would you not want Jesus to be your friend? He's like the greatest guy that ever lived. Now, I believed in evolution. I didn't believe the Bible was the word of God. I was still kind of like a nihilist. I wasn't so sure about the existence of God, but I began to believe in Jesus because of the cross. And so I went up to my youth pastor, I went up to my friend Randy. I said, Randy, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. He goes, no, you don't. <laughs> I said, no, Randy, I really do. Then I went to my youth pastor and then Randy goes, well, let's go see the youth pastor. The youth pastor didn't believe it either. And so I was like, guys, come on. Like, I want to join the Jesus team. You got to like, we got to work together here, right? And so I went into an empty office and I sat down with my youth pastor and my friend, Randy. Randy's a pastor now. My youth pastor's a pastor down in Florida. And I prayed this very simple prayer and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And the moment he came inside of my heart, he changed my heart from the inside out. And then as I began to read the Bible, I began to realize God did exist and God made the world. And, and everything about my life changed. Why? Because my heart changed. And I went from being a bad kid to I, I actually went out to Bible college, went back to the same town that I was a troublemaker and I was a youth pastor in my town. I became good friends with the police. I became good friends with the mayor of our city. Because you know what happened? My heart changed. And that's the Christian method of changing society. We preach the gospel and we, we transform people from the inside out. As Christians, we want to transform society like everybody else, but the Christian way of doing it is through preaching the gospel and making disciples. And as we change people's hearts, then we change the world around us. So we do what Jesus called us to do. We preach the gospel, we make disciples, and as we do that, we make the world a better place. And there's one last thought I want to leave you with is, um, in missiology, they have a term that's called lift. And what it means is that any society that embraces the gospel, within one generation, it completely transforms that society. And it transforms it, it, transforms it so much, it actually changes it economically. And you'll see that it'll be like this group of people, if they embrace the gospel within one generation, they're economically 10, 15 times more advanced economically than they were the other people because the gospel has such a transforming effect. That's how powerful it is. You preach the gospel and you can transform an entire society. And as, you know, the older generation, like even like Lloyd, you know, as he's getting older, as, as pretty soon the world is gonna be handed to you guys and America's gonna be handed to you guys. And the way to make America a fairer, juster, better. Jesus says that wherever two or more are gathering in his name, that he is there in the midst of them. And Jesus is here in this room tonight. And something special happens when the people of God gather together in his name. And so what I wanna encourage us to do is, is as we sing these last two songs, let's sing to Jesus, let's pray to Jesus, let's recommit our lives to him and let's recommit ourselves to the mission of the church. And I'm just gonna step on, on stage just for a moment, but let's sing that song, Heart of Worship. Let's sing it with all of our hearts. Let's sing it to Jesus and let's recommit ourselves to him tonight. Let's rededicate ourselves to Jesus.